This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found modern mammals and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. Aloha, and welcome to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome. The aloha is because right now I am in Hawaii. Uh, I'm sitting on the balcony of our hotel looking at palm trees and tourists everywhere, and it's, man, I just love Hawaii, and, and the beach is amazing here. We rented scooters. We were scooting all over the place, and Beartooth, our best friends, have this crazy Airbnb on the beach, so we're just having a wild time here in Hawaii, and man, like... We got to do the Silver Tooth thing, which is when Silverstein and Beartooth, we get together, we play shows, um, and we just have a wild time playing songs together. So it was awesome, and man, I just couldn't be in a better mood. And not just because I'm in Hawaii, but because this episode of the podcast is 100% my favorite. Today we have a fucking legend on the show, Mr. Dennis Lixon of Refused. I don't even know where to start. I mean, without Dennis... I would have never started screaming in a band. I know a lot of other people who feel the same way. When they heard the refused record, The Shape of Punk to Come, it literally changed what I thought about punk rock, what I thought about hardcore music, heavy music, whatever you want to call it at that time. So talking to him, being able to go onto his tour bus and sit in the back with him for an hour and pick his brain was just the most incredible experience for me. Before we jump in, if you want to get in touch, if you got suggestions for the show, if you want to tell me I'm awesome or I'm not so awesome, please, please feel free to get in touch. You can email me, leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. You can hit me up on Snapchat. It's real Shane told. I'm pretty good at getting back to people on Snapchat, so check that out. We also got Twitter, at leadsingersyn, S-Y-N, and there is an Instagram account as well, at leadsingersyndrome. Also, if you want to support the show, super easy. If you buy things online, if you use Amazon, please use our Amazon affiliate link. Just go to leadsingersyndrome.com slash Amazon. It takes you right to the Amazon homepage. Login is normal, and anything you buy, we get 4%. So again, that's leadsingersyndrome.com slash Amazon. Also, 
If you can write a review on iTunes, that really helps that the show helps us grow. And just tell a friend, you know, if you have a friend that likes music, that's interested in these backstage, you know, back of the bus conversations between two lead singers, please tell your friend and, and hopefully you can continue to help this podcast grow. And, and I mean, the fact that we have Dennis this week for me is just such a victory. We've come so far. Um, and I just, man, like, what are we, 42 episodes in? This is just like... So much fun for me. So thanks to everybody for the support and listening to this. In other news, Silverstein, we're going on tour with Memphis May Fire and the Devil Wears Prada. And this tour is kind of hitting all of America and most of Europe and the UK. So I can't say the UK is Europe anymore, can I? That's... That sucks, but hey. So check that out. That's going to be a really, really fun tour. Also, I got big announcements too. River Oaks, I'm doing more and more stuff with that. So keep your ear to the ground. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a very busy end of the year for me, but I'm really, really excited. Anyways, I've rambled on enough. Let's get to the good stuff. Here's my conversation with Dennis Lixon of Refused. We'll get started. Yes. Let's do it. I'm here yeah. in the back lounge of the bus Yeah, with Dennis Lixon of Refused. <laughs> How are you doing today? Good. I'm doing really good. Great, man. Last yeah. day of the tour. Yeah. And you're headed back to Sweden? Yeah. Tomorrow afternoon. Nice. It's yeah. funny. I'm actually flying out from the airport right here in just a few hours. Oh, wow. Where we're are you going? going? We're going to Australia. Wow. So um, that'll good be... Good for you. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's kind of nice. I mean... Right now it's like pouring rain. People can't see, but it's like not a nice day. So I'm looking forward to Australia. Maybe great. actually less hot weather because here it's been crazy. Yes, it's yeah. a bit disgusting. Have you guys done a bunch of shows in Canada or just no? This is the one, the only one. Yeah, the only one. It's been on the east coast uh, of America. Nice of USA actually. USA, yes, yeah. yes. Um, <laughs> how do you feel now? Like like doing these? Like has this tour long? No, two weeks. Two weeks. We oh. only. Uh, when we uh, got back together, well, not when we got back together, when we decided that we we're going to continue after 2012, one of the things uh, with the, uh, people's life is that we decided to do two weeks and then that's it. And then three weeks, a month off, and then two weeks, and then two, you know. So it's like um, Matthias and Magnus, they both are two kids. Yeah. Um, Chris is an opera director. Right. Yeah. David writes music for other people. I have another band, so it's like it's pretty, uh, it's pretty good to do like two weeks and really. When you're here, you're really into it, and it's fun and exciting. And then uh, also the physicality of the way we play is, uh, especially me and David, it's two weeks, and then right. then I'm pretty pretty done right <laughs> after two weeks i get it no well it's funny i walk on your bus and i was like damn it it's like it smells good in here and it's clean yeah. and you're like it's the last show of the tour and yeah. i'm thinking to myself like wow these like that's kind of impressive but i guess only two weeks yeah you no know, that only makes two sense. weeks and was we have a, a four women on 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 the bus so i think oh, that, that helps. helps to keep the level up of um of everything actually yeah. that's great you have four women working for you or you yeah, have no four women working for us that's awesome because yeah. it's you know, as you guys know very well, this is a male-dominated world. Yes, it um, is. Is it important for you guys to yes. try to hire females? Yeah. yeah. I mean, 
Yeah, I think it's important for us to try to live by the stuff that we talk about. We talk a lot about gender issues and yeah. feminism and stuff like that. And then in 2012, when we uh, when we're getting back together uh, for the first time, there's all this discussion about like the crew and the people they're going to work with and dudes tend to hire dudes and men tend to work with men and and someone just said wait there has to be women working in this you know the music yeah. business so music industry and then uh, so we were lucky I mean uh, we have three people that are always with three women and then the bus driver this time around is a woman so wow yeah. I don't think I've ever seen that before oh she's rad she's been driving for 25 years and Crazy. she's I've been sleeping which is rare for me on the bus so yeah it's been good no we Fantastic. try to bring, uh, bring women on tour also when we tour by ourselves we always try to bring support band that have uh, women in them yeah. just to to I mean, it's like a subtle point of showing that uh, it doesn't have to be a boys' club, right? So, just like the small things that you can do to uh, show uh, some sort of gender equality yeah. in in practice, not only in in the, totally. the way you speak and, and the way you talk. Yeah, so, that's, yeah, that's that's awesome about you guys, and something I respect a lot. So, um, you've talked already about the reunion in 2012 a couple yeah. times. You brought it up, yeah, and <laughs> I mean, it was what 14 year break. Yeah, where you know you guys were not together. You guys were playing. I think everyone was still playing music in some capacity. I mean, yeah. obviously David was. David was, you and were. I was. But uh, Chris, Chris wasn't at all. Like he, uh, he didn't. I don't think he played guitar in almost ten years. Wow. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> like he I, never even touched a guitar. Like I mean, he I'm just, sure he touched it, but he didn't. He didn't play. I mean, he wasn't in any bands. And yeah, I mean, both Chris and and John. That's not in the band anymore. They, they hadn't been on a stage since like we broke up in '98 until right. we played like the first couple of shows in 2012. They hadn't been on a stage. It's crazy. So what? How did that all come together? Like you guys, I understand it was a pretty messy th- breakup <laughs> in '98. Yes, to and say I, the least. I don't know if you want to talk about what happened. I, we can talk about everything now. Sure. I <laughs> yeah. mean, yeah, like what happened in '98. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of factors. You can see part of it's in the movie that we that Chris right. made. I think refused our fucking dad. Refused yeah. our fucking dad. I People think check it out. one of the things that uh, we we got burned out from touring. You don't. We don't talk about that that much in the movie, but it's one of those things where looking back at it, like we never toured before. We didn't know how to tour, and. Um, like just the the pace that we had and, and refused was our life like twenty four seven three hundred sixty five days a year it was all about refused and at the the tail end of that we didn't like each other which yeah. I was, a lot of it I think stems down to the fact that we didn't like ourselves or who we became and when we did the shape of punk to come it wasn't a, a, a pleasurable experience it was kind of a, a drag and we were fighting a lot about the direction we wanted the band to go in and yeah. I think we had different ideas about what we wanted with music so when we started touring and also I think one of the, the aspects is like we started touring in uh, in 1998 we put the record out we started touring and we we didn't nail it you know what I mean we went out and, and yeah. we played kind of sloppy and we hadn't practiced as much as we wanted to and it was pretty bad for our, our self-confidence uh, and we peaked as a band in like in the 90s people liked us 96 that was like a good year <laughs> so when we came out in 98 it's weird but yeah. when we came out in 98 
the hardcore scene wasn't that excited about Shape of Punk to come. Yeah. There's less people at the shows and we were fighting within the band and Crazy. we had different directions that we wanted to go and then and then uh, we broke up. So you didn't when you made that record you didn't even really think it was anything special? Or like did you I, did you know it was something special? I mean I'm I'm very much a product of uh, growing up in the north of Sweden. I remember telling David uh, we had a like a listening party at home we had like a release party for the record in, in, in our hometown and I remember telling David I'm like yeah people are not gonna get this record people are not gonna like it sure and David's like no no it's a great record but I think cause every, everything was so confined to scenes and like yeah. the, the hardcore scene there's aspects of it <clears throat> that I love but uh, being open minded is not one of the things that hardcore scene kind of excels in so when we came out with a very different record and it's a very pretentious record I'm not gonna lie it's, it's kind of like you know I wouldn't uh, say that to you you can say it is a very pretentious record in, in both good and bad ways but I think a lot of hardcore kids when that came out they were just like yeah we're not interested we moved right. on and we, we, and, and we felt that and, and since we were so affiliated with, the, with hardcore and that scene it was kind of a letdown for us. We were like, wow, we put out this record with this music that we put a lot of like yeah. work into and, and no one cared. And crazy. we broke up. And, and It's so crazy. Yeah, and, and the, the tours that we did, we played a bunch of shows on that record because we, we did like two European tours. We did like a bunch of shows. We did like 45 shows in Scandinavia. And, and, yeah. and it was like, you know, when you come out and it's like, it's not as good as it was two years ago. Crazy. People are not as excited. So, yeah, so, wild so, to me. so when we broke up, it was like very much in in the spirit of a total defeat. You know, like we Nuts. broke up and we were just like, yeah, no one. This yeah. this kind of all went to hell. And um, I went home and I, I sulked around for like a week and I started noise conspiracy and we started practicing, writing songs and we we went into the studio pretty quickly and we're all in the studio recording our first uh, recordings. People kept calling me from America. They're like, they're showing you a video on MTV. Like people are going crazy, right. refused. I'm like, but we just broke up, and and then uh, then we had to live with that for like a long time. That uh, we went on and played shows so with like noise conspiracy. People like, I love refused. Right, I'm like, and then you have I'm, to tell people it's not. The same yeah, I'm like, it's band. not the same band. I'm like, yeah. we broke up and we just played a great show, and they were like, yeah, it was good, but I love refused. So it was, uh, it was a weird time. It's so weird. Well, I remember the first time... It's interesting you talk about the hardcore scene and stuff. The first time I heard Shape of Punk to Come, I, I'll never forget. I was in a record store, like an HMV. You know they used to have those yeah, yeah, CD yeah. listing booths or whatever? Yeah, yeah. So I look at this and I go, okay, well, Shape of Punk to Come. Well, I better check out what's coming, right? <laughs> so I put on the headphones and I was like... Because you know, I was 17 and it was on Epitaph. Yeah. So I was thinking, oh, it's going to be like No Effects or Bad Religion or something like that. No, no. And I was like, <laughs> and it starts, and I'm like, is this even punk? Like, this is like kind of metally and kind of yeah. like, and I just didn't know what to think. And the, I heard the first song, I was like, I got to keep listening to this. And I don't know how much of the record I listened to just in the store, but a lot of it. Yeah. yeah. And was like, this record is, this is incredible. <laughs> and the two things that strike me about that is the, the first is that Epitaph, what didn't have any bands like you guys. No, not so at the all time, the people. No. So you talk about hardcore scene being open minded. Well, it was like you guys were trying to be promoted to the punk scene, like the skate punk kids, not like what Victory Records was doing at the time, yeah, yeah, yeah. which I know you guys were on for a while. <laughs> yes. Like, like it was, it was a different kind of you know scene, for lack of a better word. Yeah, yeah. 
so that was the, that was like really interesting, and I don't know how that was for you guys. It was kind of weird because we, uh, when we first came out as a band, a lot of the, our contemporaries they were bands like Snapcase and Strife yeah, and, yeah. and Damnation Eighty or you know bands that were on like the more of the victory type of hardcore, and uh, we, we put out like two records on victory. And uh, our first U.S. tour was with Snapcase, of course, yeah. in 96. And then what happened was that uh, we got signed to Burning Heart Records in, in Scandinavia and Europe, actually. And Burning Heart and Epitaph kind of merged. Yeah. So that's how we ended up on, on Epitaph. And right. I think, as you said, like it was an astute observation. They didn't really have any bands like us. And we ended up there by default. And I, went, I think when... When Shape of Punk to Come came out, it was I don't think anyone expected anything from it. I think people were just like Epitaph and Burning Heart was like, yeah, we'll put Epitaph it out. Was just like I have to put, yeah, this we'll, out we'll put it out because it's a part of like the the you know the bands that we're putting out. And so, did you ever have any contact with Epitaph with like Brett Gerowitz and all that? I mean, you must yeah, have later on, later but, on, but probably initially that, not really. At that point, no, not really. I mean, we the record came out. I think it came out in America like the week we broke up crazy yeah. so but then I mean Noise Conspiracy ended up on Epitaph and I yeah, have a sure. great relationship with Brett and all those people now but it was definitely a weird thing for us because because as you said it came out on like a punk label which we didn't really mind because I think in our minds uh, for us cause we came from from a time when when hardcore was hardcore punk yeah. so for us it, it that was kind of it made a little bit of sense but it was definitely like also one of those things for us because we, we were on Victory for a while and all those bands that we played with uh, like like musically like we, we we fit with those bands but politically we didn't fit at all so we ended up being one of those bands that I remember when we toured with Snapkiss because the, the punk kids that we kind of could relate to because there was like this in the 90s there was this whole scene with heart attack and, and ebullition and all those like really noisy political labels out yeah. on the uh, uh, on the west coast that we really liked, but they hated us because we were on victory and all the victory bands hated us because we were so outspoken political. Right. So you're one of those bands that just like we didn't really fit anywhere. Yeah, and it was kind of frustrating, but also I guess that that speaks to. The kind of people that we are, I guess. <laughs> well, you talk about Shape Punk to come being pretentious. Yes. And, I mean, you can just look right at the fucking title. Yeah. The title is itself is, you know, you could call that pretentious in that it's like you guys are making some kind of bold prediction or that you guys are going to influence the next generation and stuff. And it comes off, it's co- it's a cocky title. Yes. But the fucked up part is now... 14 years later or sorry not 14 years later it's, um, I don't even know how many years geez, later yeah 18 years later <laughs> um, yes the, the funny part is that you guys were kind of right mm. and what I mean by that is like <laughs> you know the, the, the punk rock like the skate punk and all that stuff yeah. that came that kind of faded away and then it became more aggressive screaming you yeah. know that stuff did become what punk rock is, is you know became and you look at something mainstream like the Warp Tour. A lot of bands on that now that are you know punk bands are yeah. like not really no you know they're more in the classical by you guys. Sense. Yeah, yeah. So when you came up with that title, what did that title kind of mean? And like, what did like how did you how did you know that that was going to happen? We didn't know that. <laughs> uh, well, what it, what it was was that uh, 
what I talked about, like when we were in uh, the states and tour with Snapcase, like we play with all these like metalcore kind of type of bands, um, and we couldn't relate to them because they were like not into politics and they were just kind of jocks. But like, yeah, they're like, yeah, I'm also straight edge. You're straight edge. We're all straight edge. And I'm like, but I am a communist. <laughs> <laughs> well, they didn't like that at all. Um, <laughs> so when we came home from that tour we were kind of fed up with the hardcore scene we are kind of fed up with the punk scene and we were just like I don't think there was uh, it wasn't like a, a, a you know like okay let's let's predict the future this is gonna be the show because it was more like fuck you right. that's what it was the title was a complete sure. like fuck you like we, we, we'll name it a shape of punk come we'll do something completely different it's like fuck you and fuck your petty narrow-minded scene fuck you and fuck your petty narrow-minded scene that's what it was and I mean we st- I mean, we stole the title from Ornicoma Shape of Jessicum yeah and when that came out people were like that guy's an idiot and then a couple years later be like yeah he was kind of right and so it's it like a funny <laughs> weird because it wasn't when you play music and when when you write it's always in the moment and he wasn't uh, were you young kids I was like 24 when we wrote that record I was like the old guy in the band I was 25 and David was 22 and we were young kids and it wasn't meant to be a legacy it wasn't meant to be our lives it was just a record you know what I mean we just did a record and like fuck you and then the record came out we broke up and here we are almost 20 years later talking about it it's It's pretty pretty, yeah it's it's pretty insane because it wasn't pretty insane yeah and and, I mean when I when I got into music it's it's funny me and David talked about this the other day David was one of those kids that was um, super talented drummer obviously 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 and and uh, and he was he was destined for some sort of musical greatness because he was like when he was 13 years old he was like a kick ass drummer and I wasn't I was one of those kids that just like I wanted to play music because I had uh, so much energy within me and I like so much frustration that music was like an outlet and when I started playing music there wasn't a single bone in my body that felt like oh this is going to be a career this is going to I mean I was like I got got into punk and I was like yeah "Yeah, this is perfect I'll do this for a couple years I'll try to get my shit together so even when we had refused it was like this, this weird like respite in life we're like okay we'll do this and then something else I guess like go to school or yeah. get a job and then when Refuse broke up I wasn't I didn't see myself as a musician I was just like this punk guy right. and it took me a long time to come to terms with the fact that oh yeah I'm a musician I'm a musician I'm a yeah. professional musician I'm a professional it's this is super, how I make money it's super weird uh, but uh, it happened but David was so Dave was one of those guys that could have been like a jazz drummer and he right. he went and he saw I had a hardcore band before a fuse called Step Forward and he went and saw us play it. he was actually there to see another band like a like a proggy like rock band <laughs> and he see he saw a fuse uh, Step Forward play and he was like shit this is what I want to do right. so it's kind of crazy that I you kind of perverted him yeah. to become this like this, this musician that he is today but, do you yeah. think growing up where you grew up um, what's the name of the city I Umio yeah, I can't pronounce yeah, that. No. Umio? Umio. Umio. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and that is very, like, people probably don't know, it's in the northern part of Sweden. Like, how many hours from Stockholm is that? Oh, like, eight hours? Yeah. I mean, so it's, car, it's, driving eight it's hours. It's a long yeah. way. I mean, how, how much of growing up there factored into, like, a couple things. Like, 
there must have not been very much to do. No. <laughs> and I can always relate this to Canada, too, because it's so fucking cold. Canada yeah. and Sweden. Yeah. Coldest countries. I always think, like, there's so many good, like, metal bands and stuff from Montreal, because I think those guys just stay inside all winter practicing guitar, because they can't do anything. Yes. Um, so there's that, that I think, I don't know if that factored into you guys, you know, becoming a, such a great band and so talented. Also, you guys not thinking anything was going to amount to it because had anything had anything ever come out of your town I mean Meshuga I guess Meshuga but other than that like they were yeah. probably the the heroes yeah I mean they, they were we always made fun of them because they were like a couple years older than us and they were like metal guys but uh, they were definitely like inspiration because we were like oh shit band from our hometown that, that put out a record and uh, but yeah I mean isolation boredom you just never, never discount those things for creativity and yeah, it's, it's amazing. One of the things that also, because of the isolation, because of the boredom, there wasn't anything to do. Like people, they played hockey or football, sure, or yeah. hockey in the winter, football in the summer. Fan later on, yeah, and then uh, or or they studied. Or, or you were like the weirdo, which of course I was. So so <laughs> I, I started playing music and. Um, the the idea that you could just focus on your music it wasn't like in London or Stockholm or New York where there's like a scene where people are cool and you got the right attire you got the right attitude like we didn't have any of that we didn't we didn't know what the fuck we were doing sure and, and it's quite liberating to grow up somewhere where you can set your own standards and your own rules for what you want things to, to, to mean and what you want to accomplish. So I think that meant a lot for us. I mean, I think there's a couple of things that as a human there are certain things in life that will define you forever and one of them is definitely growing up in an isolated part in the north of Sweden. Yeah. That's always going to define me uh, culturally and, and socially and like the the human that I became. So yeah, I think it was super important. Right. Absolutely. Um this is the podcast is called the lead singer syndrome podcast. If you yes. didn't know, <laughs> so <I knew> that. <laughs> we talk about yeah, and it's a ridiculous title, but we talk about a lot of stuff like singing and stuff and, and all that and writing and everything. Um, but one thing I want to talk about you that doesn't get talked about a lot on the show is just the whole idea of like stage presence. Mm-hmm. You know, you've been called the Mick Jagger of punk rock. <laughs> you know, you um, you were. How was it being the L uh, Sweden L magazine 2004 sexiest man in Sweden? Yeah, amazing. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> like how fucking weird was that? That was super weird. They called me and they said uh, we're doing this piece about the man of the year. I'm like man of the year. I'm like that's insane. And I went down to Stockholm. They're like, though it's actually sexiest man of the year. I'm like, what? They're like. We knew you wouldn't have come if we told you. Like, what? That's so crazy. <laughs> they duped you. Yeah, they duped me. That's funny. Yeah, you think it would be some like <laughs> hockey player or some like mainstream? Well, you know? well, Slatan Ibrahimovic was in second place. So <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Yeah, no, but that that just the whole like your whole persona and everything. Like you're such a dynamic frontman performing. Uh, uh, <laughs> during the headlights, I love that. Yeah, <laughs> who was that that walked in? That was Don, our sound guy. Nice. Yeah. Um, you're, anyways, you're such a dynamic frontman. Um, where did you get the influence to do that? Because you, you talk about how you didn't really know what you were fuck you were doing, but then you come out and you're like Mick Jagger up there. So like, how did that come out? Come about? Um, first of all, 
when we started playing punk rock music and hardcore music, there was a. It's, it's hard to describe, but no one. When I got into punk, I got into punk in 1987, and I started my first punk band then. And then in 1989, what I started was your my first punk band called. Well, called Afro Jets. It's, okay. it's just ridiculous <laughs> And then my first hardcore band Was called Step Forward When we started in 1989 Yeah uh, For the first band I played bass and sang Because no one else Wanted to sing And then When we started Step Forward I was just a singer And One of the things Like here, here's You have to understand Like we lived I lived in a small village Outside of Umeå Umeå is At that point Maybe 90,000 people And I lived in the village Outside of it Yeah So So I I forced three other people to play hardcore music and I don't know I mean we could talk about this for hours like how you discover hardcore music because I was kind of a metalhead I got into punk and then I got into hardcore and if we played a show in Umeå in front of 100 people no one have heard hardcore before it's that crazy like people have heard the Ramones and the Pistols and like punk stuff but as far as hardcore music people didn't know so the first show we played with Step Forward we said, all right, so no one's going to really understand what we're doing. So let's just fucking go crazy. And I remember, like, cause, and, and we had no point of reference but pictures of other records. Never seen a hardcore band live. Never wow. never seen a hard, like a video of a hardcore band play. Wow. It was just like we saw pictures on records and I guess you got to jump. Right. Guys are axed gotta, up when yeah, they're like ex- the back exactly. cover. Like, yeah. So we, like, we, we just saw the, records we or whatever. saw the pictures and we're like, Guess that's how you gotta behave. So <laughs> that's our, amazing. Our, our, our first show, we just went crazy. We smashed the guitar. The the show ended with our, our drummer taking the cymbal stand and threw it in the fuse box. The whole place went dark, <laughs> and people like, "Holy shit, those guys are crazy!" And that just kind of stuck with me. And like this idea that if people don't know what you're doing, just let the let them be entertained. And I think right. that hardcore and punk when it came out it was such an extrovert force it was very inclusive it was like my whole idea has always been like you hear the first chorus and when the second chorus comes you can sing along because it's that simple and I always had this idea in the back of my mind that that is supposed to be inclusive it's supposed to be like everybody can get involved in this and then when we started Refused because David um, and Chris they're such great musicians I think a lot of me just going crazy and doing my weird dances and, and stuff was just me covering up for the lack of my singing abilities for for, for yeah. a while I mean I was like I was a great front man I was not a good singer at that point because uh, because I wasn't people have said that before on the show <laughs> yeah. too that that, and, that, and that's I, amazing, I just yeah. kind of covered that up by being like this crazy extra person yeah and then one thing that happened that I think really defined the stage persona that I am is that when we got into when I got into hardcore I got into hardcore punk and then when hardcore became uh, popular like well popular is a matter of definition I guess but but when they started showing like Sick of It All and Biohazard on MTV everybody was really tough there's a lot of guys with their shirts off just being tough yeah, and I could never relate to that because I'm not a tough person. I'm just like, hey, I'm, I grew up in a small town in the north of Sweden. I'm not like a <laughs> tough guy. I've been in a in a fight in my entire life, and um, so I think that really 
affected my persona because for for like a week I tried to take my shirt off and be like yo come on do the whole like and, and then I was like that's not me that's not who I am and then the, the, the point of reference being like you started like I, I was in, early into soul music I was early into like you know like the Stones or Iggy I saw Iggy Pop Live oh, yeah, 1990 yeah. and I was like wait that's the type of performer I can be and then the, the contrast between like the, the really aggressive violent music that Refuse played and me like in a suit like kind of dancing and I liked that contrast because uh, it was something really different from like the guy in shorts and, and a baseball cap just kind of screaming yeah. so I was like no I, I want to be a performer I mean I love James Brown I love Mick Jagger or Iggy or right. you know all those people and I kind of just took that into who I am because that made more sense like I could relate more to Iggy than to you know I love Sick of It All but it wasn't <laughs> like I, I, sure. I wasn't from the Queens I wasn't like a New York tough yeah. guy so I could relate more to to someone like Iggy so that that just became something that I brought with me yeah no that's 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 awesome man um I guess like singing wise too um like I go back to the story I told you about hearing you know the record for the yeah. first time and um, I, I got to say, like, I don't think I would have ever started screaming if it wasn't for you. Um, so obviously, like, you know, Shape of Punk to Come and then the earlier records that I heard afterwards, they inspired me to become a screamer, whereas mm. before I just was, like, a good, you know, playing skate punk, you know, yeah, and playing yeah. guitars. So that really, like, opened up a whole new thing. Now, how much of that influence that you have for, obviously, not just me, but many bands, does, do you ever think about that? Do you care about that? And the last question is: Does it ever piss you off when, like, like, cra- did you ever see Crazy Town cover uh, New Noise? Like, yeah, yeah, shit like that. <laughs> That's a whole different question. <laughs> okay, well, well, two part, two part of that. Start with the first half of the question. I wasn't when I started playing hardcore punk. Um, I was also more like it was more like Minor Threat, Seven Seconds, so kind of like. Uh, yeah, shouting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, just more shouting. And then I remember we did the first refused EP, and the producer, this guy Pella, he was like, "Just scream, just fucking scream your head off." And I'm like, well, "Okay," because I was I was into the shouting, like the yeah, 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 go, 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 like that kind of. Yeah, and like the uh, Little Biscuits, Minor Threat, yeah, all those yeah, bands were, yeah. they weren't really screaming. No, it they was were different. more like, it's a weird version of like singing slash shouting. Yeah. And, um, but Pelly just told me, just scream, like just fucking balls out screaming. So he pushed me really hard. We did the first DP and, uh, then that just became, um, my style of, of yeah. like like how I related to Refuse by that just weird screaming part and it also it was weird because I think I was I was an okay shouter I was just pretty good at like the shout singing kind of thing but then I lost confidence in that because Refuse was so much about like the screaming thing uh, that was interesting and then when Refuse broke up I was I wasn't interested in screaming anymore I was like I'm done screaming I don't want to scream so we started noise conspiracy, yeah. like, like really taking two steps back and like kind of learn how to sing again. And now, with doing noise conspiracy and, and invasion and all of the other bands I've been doing in, in the interim between, like, just made me a good singer. And then to to be able to complement that with screaming, sure, it's quite interesting because it may, gives you a good range of how you can use your voice uh, live. Because I, I remember like the the 
the singing parts when we did we toured 98 the singing parts were kind of always a little bit off because I was really insecure about it yeah but then the screaming parts would you know nail those and now it's like I go pretty flawlessly from like singing to screaming back to screaming singing I mean yeah and, yeah. and it's just like a matter of like how you use your voice and what you want to do with it but it, it's something about refuse like the energy that that brings out this primal yeah, sort of sure. screaming screaming part uh, then about crazy town <laughs> no I don't for anyone that doesn't know they're the you're my butterfly sugar baby yeah. they're that thing. I don't I don't I don't really care that much it's more like uh, it's more like when you come out there's like this really hardcore commie situation it's like juggernaut of power yes and then someone misunderstands everything that you're about right that just like I'm like that's kind of a bummer because what but um, <laughs> in, in hindsight it's quite entertaining that shit like that happens which is yeah, I, guess, I guess it's like it's, uh, it's like um, in, in, a, in a backwards sort of way it's just the compliment to, to the, the power of the music I mean yes yeah. they, they misunderstood everything like honestly from A to Z everything <laughs> But it's still kind of like I'm. Mean, yeah, I guess they like the riff or something. But yeah, it's quite it's a, interesting. It's a great riff, but uh, but I mean, there's Paramore too. Did you the Paramore thing? Do you know about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They actually asked us. I, they, I'm sure they, they did. They. Uh, I mean, that's like obvious. Yeah, they asked uh, if if they could. It's like a guitar part that's very similar, and we're like, yeah, whatever. I think music is free. Music is like. Yeah. Uh, Art is is inspiration. You steal stuff, and and I mean, we could maybe that's a different pod with the just sit with David and Chris and just ask the inspirations for all these weird oh. riffs. Oh yeah, and it's like I just mean, David said the other day. Yeah, that's the Eric Dolphy piano line that we just stole for the that riff, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's yeah. true. So it's like. I mean, steal, you steal a riff and you play it backwards. I mean, it's uh, this, yeah, like, like yeah. people listening, it's like everybody does that. Yeah, and I mean, it, that's a great part of art that it's like, it's like a free flow of information and ideas and, and you hear something, you're like, holy shit, that's rad. Yeah. I want to do something similar. And then you, you take that idea and, and then at first, it's quite obvious that you're stealing it. But then as you gain your own identity, then you can't really tell that much anymore I mean that I think that happens I mean the first Refuse show we played I think we played four Gorilla Biscuit songs that's, you know what I mean that's it's like right. I didn't yeah, know well, that's where you that's start the, and then yeah. you end up here and it's a com- completely different song but then when I saw Walter from Gorilla Biscuit I actually saw Gorilla Biscuits the other night I'm like holy shit this is where you know like this is where Refuse started like with a couple of these songs yeah. so it's that's very cool yeah it's <laughs> it's how life that's is cool. yeah. well, okay well hey you guys are back Uh, It's been a very long hiatus. Um, Well, I mean, the first one, anyways, from 98 to 2010, or 2012, I'm sorry. In 2010, I know you guys posted up on your website, like, a coming soon thing, which was... (laughs) It's like, oh, I don't know, another deluxe version of a record or something? (laughs) I don't even know how many they've, they've, uh, you know, shit out at this point. I lost track as well. Because there was speculation at that point that there was going to be a reunion. Was there going no. to be a reunion at that point or did no. this sort of trigger it no I, I think that was just like you know the rumor mill started get going and then I think that's exactly what Epitaph wanted they were like do you know what, want the excitement and then no it's just an, another version of the record 
I think it was like that when they put out like maybe the the double LP yeah. version of Shape. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, me and David, I mean, we had a huge falling out in '98. Like, and we started the band, and we were like brothers in arms, and then. At one point, like we were not, we looked at each other and we're like, "I can't relate to that person." And I think we both felt that. Yeah. And then, so we had a huge falling out. And then, you know, it took a couple of years of not being in touch. When we sat down one day and we talked about life and music, and why well, we like each other. And then, I don't know, 2006 maybe we started the band called AC4. Yeah, yeah. Because we wanted to play together again. And I mean, he helped me out with some projects and. We kind of drifted on and off into our lives. And we did AC4 together because we wanted to play music. Play hardcore, actually. And David and Chris has always been in touch. Yeah. David and Yoon's always been in touch. So it's like one of those deals where David's always been the guy that's been in touch with everyone and always like been hanging out with everyone. And then what happened in 2011, I would say, is that everybody lived in Umeå for the first time since wow. we broke up the band and it was like one of those things where like Chris lived in the States and he lived in Madrid and he lived in Stockholm David lived in Stockholm and you know it was like all of a sudden we're all in the same city and, and David's doing music with everyone in different projects and then David um, Chris came back to Umeå like a relationship that ended or something and he came back to him and he was bummed out and David gave him a guitar he said you, you need to play some guitar and then a month later Chris, Chris called him and was like I'm coming out to your house like I got a riff and David was like alright and then uh, <laughs> he showed him the riff and he said because David was playing guitar at the time yeah. playing guitar and singing and, yeah. and Chris said like you play the drums David was like I haven't played drums in like 10 years and that was Electra yeah and oh wow yeah Chris showed the riff and, and Dave was like whoa I think Chris is back like whoa yeah. and then uh, they started the band uh, Chris David and Magnus started an instrumental prog Steve Reich kind of like weird metal band yeah and so they had that going me and Dave were playing with AC4 together and we got another I mean we got the offer from Coachella a couple of times but then we got another offer from Coachella <laughs> and I think what it was like we were living in the same city no one had anything really going on at the point I mean I was playing with my band Invasion but it wasn't like that wasn't full time and everyone's just kind of waiting for something to happen and we got the offer and um, got an email from our from our manager guy and he's like this is this is how we can do it we can set it up like this do Coachella and do a bunch of touring around it maybe do like 10 festivals and um, Davey called me and he said um, don't talk to the other guys just let everyone sink think it. about it yeah think about it let, it let it sink in and then and I forgot about it because we had I mean David talked about it a couple of times like how would it be could we do it blah 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 and then so I forgot about it and then David called me like three weeks later and he's like we're doing it I'm like what do you mean doing it we're like hey we're doing it and I'm like you sure when we get together and practice like, he'll be fine let's do it and <laughs> that was it and then and then we decided to do it and I mean, then uh, yeah like I mean how much of that was was driven by the excitement for the music and playing together 
And there must have been a lot of it just be like, whoa, Coachella's paying us how much money? Like, we kind of have to do this. <laughs> like, is, is it... Because, I mean, you got, you're older, you got families and shit, like... Yeah, but I think the, the financial incentive was never the reason because we got the offer before we got a lot right. of offers before but you're always like no we're not interested and I think the idea was um, can we do it and how can we do it and then the fact that, that they offered us a lot of money it was like if they didn't offer us the money I don't think we could have done it because it right. it enabled us to like okay let's take time out just to do this we took two months out of our lives just to practice because we could afford to and I mean a lot of bands they get back together like oh we practiced three times we've been playing in like eight years we practiced every day for two months eight hours a day and that's that's I mean yeah just because someone was generous enough to give us this offer but it wasn't like about the money I mean the money is it's nice. How yeah. much of this goes goes to taxes, anyways? Yeah, well, a lot of it. <laughs> but <laughs> we will get into that. But. Yeah, that's a different. That's also a different part, I think. But <laughs> but it it wasn't about that. It was about how can can we do this? Can we do the mu- Well, can we do the music justice? And we start practicing. And and our first idea was to do Coachella, maybe a couple of more, maybe do eight shows. Yeah, that's it. We ended up doing 82 shows just because we had so much fun. Awesome. And it felt so good playing these songs, and they felt relevant, and we felt relevant. And um, like the, the second we got back together, we decided it's not nostalgia. It's just like, let's be who we are in 2012 and not try to emulate something we were back in 1998, yeah. but let's, let's actually set the template from who we are and what we are right now. It must have been so crazy for you guys, though, when you, when you got back together... And, like, Coachella is one thing, because that's, like, a festival, and that's just wild. But, like, yeah. when you were doing your first, like, headline show, where was that? Like, after Coachella? Because Coachella was the very first one back, right? Well, we did... Or was there a warm-up one, maybe? three warm-up shows. Uh, we did one in our hometown. We did one in Stockholm. And then we did one at a place called the Glass House in Pomona. Yeah, I'm familiar with it. The day before uh, Coachella. But, like, those must have been the biggest shows Refused had ever played. I mean, sort of. I, I mean, guess those were small, like, smaller venues. But I then, mean, like, the, I saw you play in Toronto at uh, Sound Academy. You oh, did, yeah, like, yeah. two nights. Yeah, yeah, You know, like, 20-whatever, 2,500 sold out. Like, yes. You guys have never done that before? No, never. They were and not you guys even, have not this, even you're close. All this, you're, right, you're carrying, like, production <laughs> now. You've got all this crew. I like, know. I know from other bands, like, from, you know, Noise Conspiracy, you know, Got got pretty big for a while, yeah. Um, and you know, I know you understand. You guys understand like the music industry and how this yeah, stuff yeah. works. But that must have been so weird. I think. I think it was weird for the other guys, as you said. Like, I I did the bus tours with Noise Conspiracy. We had like a crew, and we were, we did pretty good for yeah. a while. Yeah. Uh, I think it was weird for the other guys because I mean, I mean, even I, I remember we had the first meeting. And even like the first meeting, like the people in the band were just like, "Wait, are we staying at hotels? What the fuck are you talking about? Like, why are we staying at hotels? We stay at people's houses." I'm like, "No, no we 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 should stay at hotels." <laughs> and uh, there was like this whole idea about how you tour because that's the only way these a lot of these yeah. people knew how to tour. Uh, but yeah, I think the biggest difference, I mean, the, the posh aspects of it that we have a crew now and. We get to travel on a bus, and some nights you get a hotel. 
uh, as just like the silver lining, I think that the, the tricky part for us was uh, how do you transform these songs from like basements and yeah. squats and like small dingy punk clubs to these big venues? Yeah. And the, that was like the challenge because I remember that we played at the first show in Umi was like a 250 capacity room and it was I think we had a guest list of 200 people yeah, and yeah. there was like 500 people outside couldn't get in and we're yeah. like holy shit and then we played in Stockholm it was like 800 capacity and I think 800 people couldn't get in yeah. and then we played Glass Houses also like 800 capacity which we're all we'd done shows like that in the 90s like like the bigger clubs and we'd done a couple of festivals in Sweden but walking out on the stage at, at Coachella I think it scared the shit out of all the other guys. I mean, I've done it. I, Noise Conspiracy yeah, yeah, actually yeah. played the main stage at Coachella once. So I was like, I kind of knew it, but it sounds different. For like sure. the, the way you interact on stage is different because it's so much bigger. Yeah, the monitor yeah, yeah. sounds different. The way everything is different. So the first weekend Coachella was super shaky. It was like, uh, like, what can we really do this? Because <laughs> uh, there was no experience. But yeah. then in between because Coachella's two weekends and in between we played a show in San Francisco at the Warfield with the the Bronx and the Hives nice and we blew them out of the water it's one of those shows where like I mean they're fucking amazing the bands are, both uh, bands are awesome yeah, both bands, both are, awesome bands are awesome and both bands are like solid live bands yeah. fucking crazy and we just they didn't stand a chance <laughs> <laughs> Not, I mean, you know, oh, I like they, it. they were fantastic. I like but, the but it was one of those deals where it was like we felt at that show, like, oh shit, we can actually pull this off. Yeah. And uh, that was that was a big change, like to be able to to perform these songs in an environment that wasn't like the the, the punk rock environment where where we try to perform them in the nineties. Cool. That was that was a really Absolutely. big uh, big deal for us. Do you ever see um, Noise Conspiracy coming back? Uh, I mean, yeah, why not? I love that band, yeah, and I, I mean, we're, we're still friends. And Sarah, that was in Noise Conspiracy, she plays in my other band. And cool. Inge, we talk a lot. He's home in Umeå, and I just spent New Year's with the drummer. So yeah, yeah, cool. Maybe one of these days. Cool, man. Well, um, that's that. That would be great. That would be awesome. <laughs> um, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. A couple more things. Um, the book I read a long time ago by Chuck Klosterman, I'm sure you know, it's called it's called Killing Yourself to Live. You know oh, this yeah, book. Yeah. Basically, it's the whole premise of the book is that the best career move you can make is dying, right? Yes, probably. You know, and it's it's morbid, but it's probably true. And obviously, you know, none of you guys have died, but like, mm. uh, you know, you guys did have that catchphrase like "refused or fucking dead," you yes. know. And that became a thing. That became a thing when people would talk about refused. Be like, yeah, they're fucking broken up. They're never getting back together. You know, they broke yeah, up right we, after this amazing yeah. record came out. Like, all of a sudden, you guys are like fucking legends. Yes. Now, how much of that do you think factored into, like, your union being so big? Um, 
and I guess the second part of the question is, if you guys had stayed together and rode that wave with MTV success and yeah. all that, do you think you guys could have been like, like another Rage Against the Machine? <laughs> you know, like like on that level, like no. I, Maybe who knows? It's, right. You can only speculate and stuff like that. Um, I'm glad we didn't. I'm glad we broke up, and it's one of those like blessings in disguise. I mean, at the point I was bummed, but I, I I'm glad because I think the the break gave us the abilities to be the band that we should have been, yeah, or that we the best band that we could be. So I think that was a good thing. But yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe we could have been a a hugely successful band uh, but which I, I'm, a, I'm not that was never really the ambition though no I'm I know quite happy with especially with, I'm sure and I'm, I'm probably putting words in your mouth but like in 1998 you know you you, you called yourself like I was just a punk yeah. I didn't I it took me a long you said it took me a long time to understand this was a career yeah so you guys probably would have pushed away a lot of that stuff at the time too yeah I mean I was really I was the guy in the band that come to practice. I listened to the riff and I said, yeah, I don't really care. Music is just a tool to, it's just a vehicle for the revolution. And then I left. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I love that. Yeah, and it, it, it would have been, <laughs> if we would have stayed together, it definitely would have clashed. Cause I was so like, I was so into the idea that the music in itself at that point wasn't that important. It was just like, a vehicle for for a for a revolution, right? So I think that that was, uh, you know, I, I, we, we wouldn't have lasted. Like if the record came out and we were on MTV, we would have broken up immediately because someone would be like, "It's sellout to be on MTV." Yeah, exactly. I'm glad we broke up before that. But uh, but the the other part of the question, it's yes, we had the manifesto as well. I wrote the right, really yes, angry manifesto. Yep. And we had a song "Refuse to Fucking Dead," and and it was like uh, the last show. Like the, the the cops came and shut us down. And the crowd was chanting yep. like "Rather Be Alive." I've it heard the like story really, about that. Yeah, yeah, it was like a really uh, perfect ending. And then Chris said one day, he's like, "People saying you're a legend doesn't really pay your rent." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, and he was like, I had to pawn my guitar because I couldn't afford to eat. And then people, are, you guys are legends. He's like, that doesn't really matter. And uh, I thought that was funny. I mean, I was I was playing music and I was doing my thing, but I definitely think the backstory helped create the mythology of Refuse. Because yeah. uh, yeah. so many people never had a chance to see us, and we became big, especially in America, Europe. It wasn't that big of a a gap yeah like like but definitely in america because we became this mythological like being almost like oh refuse and then people just like yeah they're never gonna get back together and i think that definitely added i mean you could have but here's a funny story when we announced in 2011 that we're gonna get back together people fucking um, people went pretty mental over it and I don't think we were fully prepared I mean I toured around the world so I knew that people everywhere liked Refuse yeah. but I was like yeah they like Refuse it's fine but then the, 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 you know like here we are we're back and people fucking lost their minds yes. and I don't think we were quite prepared so when we started practicing 
for, for months we talked about like why is this and we had this discussion about the mythology like the breakup the, the mysterious band that never no one saw play blah 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 and then someone said maybe though people are this excited because it's a great record and we're like yeah yeah maybe that's also a part of because i mean, I mean <laughs> you, you, you can yeah. have all the mythology yeah. you want but if you can't back it up with right. good tunes it would just there be something go. that drifts away and well. and be written off in like the you know the, the the annals of rock history and be like oh they were the cool band but we we that record that we put out resonated with a lot of people and it was yeah, a record did. that to this day when we play these songs live people fucking lose their minds and go fucking f- yeah, every night we play new noise people yeah, fucking go crazy I'm just of like of course still still you know yeah well it's just, I just you know I, I wanted to know how self aware of that you are because sometimes you don't you know you're on the inside looking in you're the guy like yeah, you don't yeah. really know it's hard to be understand you know it took it took us all a long time I think I think for a long time we were Refused was much more of an albatross than it was, you know, a blessing. Yeah, because yeah. it was so like weighing down on our our, our other projects, and of it's st- still to this day it can still do that. I mean, I put a record with Invasion two years ago, and people were like, yeah, it doesn't sound anything like Refused. I'm like, shit, man, it's like a completely different band. It's like, you know, it's it's recorded, written like 16 years after Shape of Punk to come, and you're still gonna prepare, compare it. So it can still see, be sort of a bummer sometimes that that. It's always going to be compared to that. Right, right. But then, as I said earlier, discovering punk rock, being from the north of Sweden, refused. 20 years from now, if Refused breaks up right now, 20 years from now when I do interviews, we'll still talk about Refused. Yeah. It's always going to define yes. the person that I am and the way people perceive me. And for a long time, that was a bummer. But now I'm sort of, yeah, it's, it's just right. a, a, a part of who I am. Right. Well, two more two more questions, and I'll let you go. Yeah, uh, if you don't mind. Um, no. The first one is is the new record, Freedom. Yes. That must have been very challenging to try to write that record because people are expecting a refused <laughs> record. They're expecting Shape of Punk to come part two. Sort of. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> even if you wanted to give that to them, which it doesn't seem like you guys were trying to, how do you put yourself in that place you were in 1998 when you made that record? Well, like, what was your approach on the record? The the first of all, one of the things that we said from the get go when we said we write new music, because I, I think we wanted after twenty twelve we wanted to continue to be a band. Yeah, it felt yep. important. They felt that the friendship had really like rekindled and like the the creativity of it. And the first thing we said is. Um, we need new music. We're not going to be a, a nostalgia act because yeah. that's not who we are. So the, the the new music is rooted in who we are now, the, the people that we are and our ideas of what we are. But also one of the first things we said, like, we have to make a refused record. So it's not, you know, we can't come out with some weird artsy-fartsy bullshit because that's what we're into right now. Like, it has to be a refused record. But then when we start playing together, like, the way Chris writes the riffs and the way David plays drums, the way I sing, it automatically becomes refused. Even right. if it's a weird... Not a weird song, but even if it's a song like Servants of Death, which is a weird, like, Prince homage. But it still kind of sounds like refused. <laughs> and and I think that was a really important thing for us. And 
we knew getting into the trenches again with like writing new music and, and being a contemporary band yeah I'm shape of punk to come people had 14 16 years to live with that record no matter what we put out it's gonna be a tough fight you know it's gonna yes. be a tough sell because people are just like there's a time and place like you were 17 year olds you went to the record store you listened to it you're never gonna have that experience again and that's something that you have to fight with making new music but on the other hand it's like what we felt is like we want to be in control of the destiny of our band and we want to be in control of the music that we create together and we can't let the past stop us because that would be defeatist to be like oh yeah we we did that record already so why bother sure I mean, and and we want to push ourselves it's funny like when we did ship up we talked about that before like we pushed ourselves and a lot of hardcore kids was like who fuck these guys they sold out it's like pretentious record and we did the exact same thing now that we did yeah. and a lot yeah. of people like fuck these guys doesn't sound like refused anymore I'm like yeah we just did exactly what we did in 1998 <laughs> you were as honest as you could yeah, be yeah it was honest as we could be and just as, as creative and, and passionate as we could be and just put everything into the record of course it was tricky it was like yeah. it's been 14, 15 years since we wrote music together and it, that's sure. a, that's a fucking lifetime, you know. Now, do you have a new record um, planned? Yes, we're and gonna continue to be a band. I mean, that's that's our ambition. It, there, it's not um, not like soon. Yeah, you, <laughs> but it's in the works. We we have new riffs, we have new songs, uh, new ideas, and uh, new vehicles for the revolution. You mean? Yes, we do. <laughs> but I also think, yeah, yes. Well, we, I, I want to ask you. I'll cut you off right there because we don't have much yeah. time. But like. The, the, the whole idea of that <laughs> has that fallen by the wayside for you or do you still feel as like politically charged and, and, and as important is that as important to you as it all it's always been yes I mean it's different because it's I'm not 25 anymore with like a yep. newfound love or situation is sloganery but uh, yeah I mean if you look at freedom it's super political like every yes. fucking phrase is yes. like a political manifesto every night we play we play on tour with the Deftones every night I go up and talk about like later they capitalism talk about Donald Trump I talk about feminism every night yes every night every interview we talk about politics yeah it's still super important it's definitely I mean two things when we started writing political lyrics it wasn't an image it wasn't like someone sat down in the in the bedroom and be like let's pretend to be Marxist I'm sure we're gonna sell tons of records <laughs> it was like it's it's who we were at yeah. the time and, and uh, politics when you're a young kid comes more from the heart than from from, from in, the intellect it's more like the gut reaction to a fucked up world that led us into like politics more uh, of the intellectual side or you know, intellectual but more you know actually reading about it and yes. learning yes. and uh, it's who we are as people when me and David sit down and talk about lyrics uh, freedom is what came out like it's not like a pose and um, also the music that Refuse creates like the, 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 the violence and the aggressiveness of it there is a certain language and a certain way that it it's very connected to to the music. Yeah. So when when I'm writing lyrics for Invasion, 
it could be different because it's a bit of a different feel to the music but with the music that Refuse puts out it's very it's very like clenched fist yes. kind of kind of attitude and, and that really that inspires refer- you yeah it so, inspires so me then I guess it, it reflects it, the yeah. music is more important to you now than it was because before you you said you'd hear a riff you'd be like I don't really care yeah you no know? no so I it's, mean it's interesting yeah. th- that definitely changed and yeah. I think for me now the political aspect of it's super important still and I still love uh the idea that as a band it means more than just music but the musical aspect of it is super important like the yeah. way we play together the way we write together and the way we try to push our boundaries and other people's perception of what we are I love that I love that whole idea and I mean any musical project that I'm involved in I'm always trying to push myself um, so yeah I think it's it, it definitely switched I mean I think you gotta every reaction causes a, a counter reaction and that's yeah. kind of how life is and I mean we made freedom with a certain like idea of how we wanted it to be um, not perceived but how we wanted to to do it yeah. and um, it's very much a studio record it's very much like you we, we wrote it in secrecy which is kind of interesting <laughs> you know, I lied to all my friends I'm like oh I'm just gonna go hang out with them. and then we, we and then we recorded it and it's it's a very studio-esque sort of album yeah playing these songs live has definitely taught us a lot about the writing process of it and, and what works live because it's like some sometimes you write a song and you think this is going to destroy the room's going to be obliterated when we start yeah. playing the song and you start playing and that nothing happens you're like oh wait this is not at all and then you know so I think taking that as like the you know the place where we start writing the next record yeah, it's going to sure. be really interesting because I think both Chris and David when they started writing now they were like really like inspired by what really works live what's yeah. really you know, connects with people. So it's, totally, it's going to totally be interesting. Get that. Yeah. Totally get that. Okay, yeah. cool. One last thing. I mean, you're 44. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, like at this point, like what, what do you feel like you've sacrificed? You know, I know you don't have a family. Do you want a family? Um, are you ever thinking about possibly running for some kind of, you know, political office? Wow. Um, what's next for Dennis Lixon? I guess, you know, what's the future hold? <laughs> the future. Besides the new Refused record, which is very exciting news. Um, politics interests me only in a so far as they can be art. Um, I think that one of the things about being an artist and a musician is that you can exaggerate. You can you can really kind of go balls out, yep. so to speak, and... Um, I really love that concept of uh, of politics. But I'm not very interested in politics as as, as a, like you know uh, let's totally uh, budget def- deficit and you know, stuff like that. But I'm just interested in pushing the envelope and and trying to come up with new thoughts and new ideas. So I don't think any um, realistically, I would never be a good politician. Yeah, my my ideas are way too far out, and I'm too much of like a romantic dreamer, and, and <laughs> you can't really be that. I'm, I wouldn't be interested in 
compromising my thoughts to kind of like so that would never happen as far as what you sacrifice it's like yes it is tricky to live like a normal life yeah but I was never a normal person I was never interested in the normality of you know like the to like picket fence kind of yeah life so I don't feel I sacrifice I mean yeah sometimes it's hard to it's hard to have a relationship because people have a very it's hard for people to understand what this life means if you're not a part of this life yeah and I think yeah you know it's like people find it very interesting and intriguing until they realize oh shit that's actually how you live your life I'm like yeah so that's a bit tricky but most of my friends understand most of the people I hang out with they know I mean they know I'll be gone for a couple of weeks and then yeah. I'll call them up I'm like yeah I'm home let's hang out so that's alright I don't really mind that I like the older you get the more different you become I think because because when you're young it's easy to be a rebel it's easy to be like people almost expect that from you like yeah let's go through the like the rebellious phase and then kind of get in line and do your shit and the older you you are and the more you kind of you know you 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 go your own way and you, you kind of make up your own path and I think that's very interesting and I think yeah. that your life should be a work of art that you can look back at and be like I have that line and I did what I wanted to do and I true to myself I mean I had years where I've been fucking super broke and super bummed because nothing's really going as you wanted to and then I've had years when it's been fantastic but it's all a part of an ongoing process so yeah and uh, up up and coming yeah. in my life um, Evangel Invasion and we, we just finished a new record that, that I'm going to put out the first single is going to be out in September awesome and back on the road and what's the first single called uh, is, it, is it out yet when's no it, when's it coming out it's coming out in Scandinavia in September I think we might do it as a release all over the place because we don't have a record label outside of uh, Scandinavia hint hint anyone interested give me a call <laughs> uh, so it's called Imazu it's German for forever okay. it's like a feminist um, uh, yeah it's a full on feminist attack on, all right there you go yeah so that's my the next year and a half I think gonna be playing touring with Invasion or writing with Refused and then the next year and a half of that it's gonna be touring with Refused and writing with Invasion so, <laughs> so you're gonna be a busy guy yeah. so the two week the two week thing for Refused doesn't apply to, to Dennis Invasion Lixon. no no, no that's, it that's just the other guys with, the, yeah with, that's like the lamos of this band no <laughs> it's the people with family I get it it's kinda nice but no for for, uh, for my life that doesn't apply I, I, I would do more if, if if I was allowed. Cool. Well, on this podcast, we always we always end with uh, music every time. All right. So let's play an invasion sorry, an invasion track because I'm sure a lot of people that know Refuse they might not have heard Invasion. Oh, yeah. Do it. So let's bust it out. Uh, do you have a particular favorite? Not, like the new single might not be out when no, this comes out. Let's but do uh, let's do a song called Down in the Shadows. Dying it's in the Shadows. Down. Down in the, in the Shadows. Yeah, Dying in the Shadows. Not bad either. But <laughs> Down in the Shadows from a record that came out like two years ago. All right, yeah. awesome. Well, here it is, Down in the Shadows, the by Invasion, on Lead Singer Syndrome. Peace and love. Thank you. Dennis, thank you thank so you. much. Thank you. Thank you.